0: From coast to coast to coast, you are listening to Terra Informa. Hello, and welcome to Terra Informa. I'm Dylan Hall, and I'll be your host for the next half hour of environmental news and poetry from across Canada and around the world. You may have heard that last week, August 1st, marked 2018's Earth Overshoot Day, the earliest ever recorded. Earth Overshoot Day marks the point in the year where humanity's total yearly consumption, or ecological footprint, is greater than Earth's capacity to regenerate renewable natural resources in that year, or Earth's biocapacity. Many mainstream news outlets remarked on this year's Earth Overshoot Day because it occurred earlier than it has ever occurred before. This sobering fact is put into context when we realize that humanity first overshot the planet's biocapacity in 1969. You can learn more about Earth Overshoot Day at www.overshootday.org. But before you do that, I'd encourage you to stay tuned to Terra Informa to hear compelling poetry from Edmonton's first poet laureate, Alice Major. Provocative, disheartening, and simultaneously comforting This poetry may help you make sense of our human relationship to the confusing and often overwhelming times that we inhabit and inherit. Fellow Terra Informer Amanda Rooney and I had the opportunity to read Alice Major's book titled Welcome to the Anthropocene, a slim volume that weds poetry with science, mathematics, and the constant question of where do we fit in this world. We were very grateful when Alice agreed to appear on the show, read some of our favorite poems, and answer questions that we have, like, what even is the Anthropocene? First off, thank you so much for agreeing to come and speak with us today, Alice.
1: Oh, I'm delighted to be here. Do you mind introducing yourself? Okay, I'm Alice Major. I'm a poet um, former poet laureate of the city of Edmonton. I'm. Um, I've just published my eleventh collection of poetry, and yes, the environment has always been something that is interesting to me.
2: Where, where are you? Um, are you? Did you grow up in Edmonton?
1: No, I grew up in a really in really different landscapes. I, I was a little girl in Scotland, uh, and then I grew up in Toronto, sort of Lake Ontario. Um, It didn't come out here until, you know, I was 30.
0: I'm really interested in your background, because a lot of your poetry weds poems and literature with science and mathematics and the environment. Did you study English? Did you study science? Did you study both? Neither?
1: I have a very, very basic English degree and no science training, but (laughs) in a funny way, when i was taking the english degree i wasn't really that keen on literary theory at the time and i found myself instead of taking creative writing accidentally taking psych 100 instead and actually that was terribly illuminating and the idea of thinking about what human beings are um, and how we fit together Uh, and and i when i was a little girl for some reason my mother gave us a, a book on relativity still trying to figure out why but it was it was a brilliant brilliant introduction to to some of the more um, oh wild and crazy ideas of, of physics and so it became yeah really inspiring to me that science could say things about the world or explore the world and that as a poet I could try and find the meaning in that and that's the relationship I always feel I've got with science is, I can't do it but I think we're all trying to understand the world and I'm trying to sort of say here's a great idea how might we spread it further
0: which perhaps brings us to this particular book and the scientific concept which is the title of this book Um, would you mind welcoming (laughs) listeners to the Anthropocene and telling us about what the Anthropocene is and why you chose that as the title of this book
1: The Anthropocene, well, A, you love the word. It's a somewhat contested term, but assuming that human activity is really affecting the planet globally, have we moved into a different geological era? And one of the markers, interestingly enough, is that globally there is a layer of molecules related to nuclear fallout in the 1960s that you can find. It's a marker for a sort of transition that indicates human activity is, has global impacts. What's funny to me is I've lived through it. I, my lifespan goes from a time when there were 2.5 billion people on the planet to today when there are 7.5 b- billion people. So it takes all of human history to get from zero Homo sapiens sapiens to 2.5 billion and one human lifetime to get to seven point five billion and you gotta know we're doing something important and big and scary and also maybe hopeful. And of course you're just going along saying dum 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 living your life as mm-hmm. best you can and you're not aware of its importance.
0: I feel like being born into something it is normal because that's all you know.
1: That's all yeah.
0: When you're born into it, and then you start to realize and people start to tell you things like what you've just told us <laughs> about the difference in a lifespan of the human population on the planet. You're like, whoa, well, maybe this isn't a normal time <laughs> no, to be not. living.
1: It's not. And so I wanted, in this particular book, to go back to that, um, to explore where humanity fits in all of this. We have to understand what the science is saying to us. Perhaps we could get you to read that first poem for us. Well, I won't re- read it to you all because it's 21 pages long. <laughs> Good
2: idea.
1: <laughs> but I'll read uh, a section. It, it's called Welcome to the Anthropocene. And I like the idea of welcoming everything, you know, all the creatures we've changed, everything from fungus and bacteria to to the planet herself. Welcome, welcome to the Anthropocene, raccoon, coyote, house mouse, peregrine, squirrel, red fox, ratus, norvegicus. All you creatures who can live with us, being sufficiently plastic to adapt and thrive upon our handouts. Urban crap, suburban rubbish dumps and garbage cans. Welcome Canada Goose, taking your stand all five million of you on our parks and golf courses, you avian oligarchs hissing at our dogs, dropping gray-green turds on swaths of grass. You're what we've deserved after we've homogenized the landscape planet-wide. Our broad foot eradicates the little islands of ecology, the disappearing rare, the melody of the threatened, red-eyed vireos, piping plovers, grasshopper sparrows, all the small, sweet, uncompetitive. Immured in cities, we forget we live on a planet that is more inventive than ourselves. Her secrets are undreamt of, even now, her hidden leaves and worms, her microbes, her amphibians. And yet we churn her soils, her ocean depths, her streams, like the thwacking paddles of a dough machine. Worldwide, our cities rise as uniform as mass-produced white bread. We transform the richly variegated niches into starved soil for weedy species like ourselves, mown, shorn vegetation. Chronically impoverished, yet unchastened, we think the gadgetry we've gained redeems our losses. Why should we miss one small, green, leaf-shaped frog gone from a distant tropic half a world away? We are too myopic to see this slender loss might mean a space is closed, a possibility effaced.
0: Thank you. I... um one of the reasons that the Anthropocene has been criticized as a name for an epoch is that it's very anthropocentric, it's very <laughs> yes. focused on humans in a time when we should be focused on on the bigger picture, the bigger picture and other <laughs> beings. And I really appreciate how much you bring other beings into your poem about the Anthropocene.
1: Well, I'm glad because, yes, it seems like we're all in this together. It's about how can we look at it from our point of view and yet somehow incorporate those other viewpoints as well. It's about empathy in a way. It's about being able to imagine yourself into other spaces. Um, And we have to start from our own brains and understanding our own brains, I think.
0: If you get the chance, anybody listening, to read the entire poem, it's covering so many realms of science, of genetics, of ecology, of physics, and that's not the kind of thing you can think through by reading scientific papers (laughs) in 21 pages. (laughs) 21 pages seems a little long for a poem, but compared to the (laughs) amount that it covers...
1: Yes, that's one of the beauties of of poetry, is that you can be somewhat more concise than the average scientific paper.
0: So how do you cover such a, a breadth?
1: I think a lot of it has to do, like, I've been on the planet a fairly long time, and I have been reading for a very long time. And it's um, it's almost like your brain's a bit of a filtration system. All the stuff you've read for decades, you're, you're trying to fit it together. This, in an odd way, was a surprisingly easy poem to write. Um, it just became this big engine that was pulling me along. It started out, I was just going to be a one-page poem. And then, all of a sudden, I'm, you know... I'm sort of thinking, I could put in this, I could put in that. Oh, yes, and there's that over there, and it all hangs together.
2: That's very interesting. I, I think I felt that very much when I was reading it. I didn't feel like the poem was saying anything like, this is good and this is bad, or anything like that, but I, it felt like a grappling with all of the um, chaos. Uh-huh.
0: And but, complexity. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I felt like that was very interesting because it prompted me as the reader to like, you know, think about all these things and the, how they all relate to each other, and um, and then I guess make my my own thoughts about that. Thank you, because that's exactly the effect I would
1: want a poem to have. I'm not I'm not trying to prove something. I'm I'm trying to open up the thinking about it.
0: I appreciate like in that poem, you're thinking of the cities that rise like white dough all over the world and humans as weedy species <laughs> growing in places that we've cleared everything else out and yet there's this like empathy that comes from being a human yeah. and being part of that I suppose
1: Yeah. that I get I, from it. Yes of course it's our fault and yet we are part of this planet, we're part of this history, we're evolved out of this planet. We we can't cut ourselves off from it, even though sometimes you'd like to. <laughs> but no, we, we're we're part of it and we have to be part of any solutions as well.
2: Something that I thought was was interesting I the way that you have organized all the poems. When you were piecing the whole thing together, did you have a an intention with the Order?
1: Yes, actually it's very it's something I find fascinating is putting the the challenge of putting together a poetry manuscript. So this starts out very big picture, but then I did want to sort of tackle the fact that we are all trying to get on along as and we all have to have jobs and we all have to function in this human environment and then bring it down from the social even to the very personal um and this sort of open it out a little bit and then ends up with poems about sort of I mean here's me as a poet my brain's exactly the same as anybody else's it's not like i have some mysterious ability to see what other people can't i'm and i'm trying to write poems out of that space and and it seemed to me like we need humility all down the line from the big picture stuff that you're trying to present to the to the to the very basic making choices about poetry and form and all those things that poets do.
0: So perhaps with this next poem, the "There Goes the Neighborhood," I felt <laughs> that that one really brought us back to, right like, back to Edmonton, <laughs> to Edmonton, and being in a body. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, um, this is about one of my favorite birds, not everybody's favorite bird. There goes the neighborhood. Magpie as neighbor. You've moved in, hold your raucous parties. shout at the kids, fix up your house, a slipshod DIY endeavor that always seems half-done, twigs strewn all around the yard. We complain that you've forced out that elegant kingbird couple and the lovely warbler family that used to ornament the neighborhood, forgetting it wasn't you who moved in first Altered the architecture of poplar, hazelnut, and reed-rimmed slough, wild rose, stonecrop, berry bush. We ignore the fact that you're the only ones prepared to cope with us, to live off garbage bins out back, plant your nests where predatory cars go prowling by, and square up to the cat.
0: So perhaps in the interests of time, we should get you to read another
1: Well, suppose I read another sort of one that comes out of Edmonton. Sure. Um, Because, you know, the other thing about this city is we've been through so much development and growth, and it's a little worrying. We're spreading out all over the farmland and all the rest of it. And then there's that great big arena development. One of the interesting things is we're, we're almost at the very northern edge of the range of the North American Badger. I never knew that we had badgers in the region. Who knew? But they do live here in a somewhat secretive way, although their habitat has been reduced. Um, and it opens with a quote from The Wind and the Willows, uh, which is a book I loved when I was a little kid. And badger and mole are talking. And badger says to mole about people. People come. They stay for a while. They flourish. They build, and then they go. It is their way. People come. Here there would have been a slough, a marshy basin, liquid in spring, sheen of snowmelt, edges feathering with reeds, perhaps a heron spearing little fish, brassy minnows, fine-scale dace. Certainly there would have been poplar, aspen, chipping sparrow, nesting passerines. People come. I imagine voices, small bands passing to the river bend below, returning year by year to campsites along the secret pathways shared by deer. They stay for a while. Newer comers laid down rail lines here and yards 24 tracks wide for box cars packed close as cattle jostling in a pen. Freight sheds, switching engines, and then a stately station column-fronted to welcome piled-up steamer trunks. Immigrants, battalions coming home from theatres of war. Soil laid waste, clay, stamped solid by all that weight, littered with rail ties soaked in creosote, gravel, lumps of coal, the gleam of oily puddles after rain. They flourish, they build. Today, metal cranes swivel their long beaks like enormous storks, fish up loads of iron from the jagged marsh of girders that rises round their waists, shunting shovels load dump trucks, huge piles of earth hauled off to accommodate a bulging new arena, towers and hotels where travelers will open suitcases, shake out temporary toothbrushes. And then they go. I think of Rust Belt cities, their collapsing grandeurs, theaters, cathedrals, and the giant, empty railway station where sun sifts onto battered marble floors and arches black with mould. All the buried cities, Tal el-Hammam, Knossos, Abu Simbel, Troy, and the unnamed middens, campsites, farmsteads, mounded over metres deep beneath soil, rebuilt, from wind's continual freight of dust and the patient disintegration of leaves. I like to think of future roots pushing through this paving, of buckled towers becoming roosts for ravens, the roof dome opening to the sky like an ancient amphitheater, and poplars standing, a chorus of soft voices at center stage, a landscape of tunnels and hummocks and badgers returning, wedge-shaped faces peering out of burrows, earth moved by their own strong claws. It is their way.
0: It's yeah. really eye-opening for me to realize that I've never thought of badgers living here. I've never realized that this was the home for them.
1: No, we don't, and there's so many creatures that we we don't realize, share our our worlds and we don't pay much attention to. So like I was saying in the first when I read the first piece, um, we think it doesn't matter that it's no loss to us because we don't notice it, and yet it is a loss. Of course, it's a mm-hmm. loss. although isn't it lovely? Part of what I was thinking about this when I was writing that poem was Cher- the Chernobyl area mm. and how boars and wolves and, and all sorts of creatures have come back you know, to live in that area in the decades since the humans were moved out. The idea of space is coming back because we're not there. Mm-hmm. I find deeply appealing, and that was part of the um, inspiration for that poem.
0: And it's amazing to think that wolves that are struggling to live near human cities are more capable of living in a nuclear fallout zone. <laughs>
2: yeah, who's more damaging? Yes. I've got a question just on the theme of animals. and okay. it, was, it was a theme that I think I noticed. Maybe it was just me because I, I love my dog. <laughs> but I noticed there's lots of little allusions to, like, cats and dogs and our pets Um, and I was just wondering uh, uh, do you have any pets and um, why is that such a why is that a theme?
1: Well yes it is a bit of a theme. I do live with now a little dog and I've always had cats. One of the things I think pets do for us is open a window into other life forms other ways of thinking but the other thing I worry (laughs) I worry about is all right, the birth rate's falling. Maybe maybe humans won't take up as, you know, many spaces on the planet. But when you think of how many millions of dogs and cats and cows and all the rest of it that we're adding to the planet, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, for every good thing about about our relationship with animals, we create uh, difficulties for the environment as well.
0: Perhaps you could read us Pronomial or Pronomen
1: about the cat. About the cat. <laughs> this is being envious of a cat's brain. So the title of this poem is Pronominal, and that refers to the use of pronouns, you know, which is something that we do inevitably in our speech. Pronominal. The cat does not say, I. He does not have to say, I chase the toy mouse. Oh, to live like that. Without the constant whirl in my head, the daft-eyed noisemaker, to pounce, to feel, I am pouncing, sure and unpronounceably.
0: <laughs> envious, <laughs> I am envious of animals for that ability.
1: Don't you love the the the, the idea that you don't have to be continually nattering to yourself? Uh, all the time in your head mm-hmm. and as a poet of course language is what I, I build with it's what I use and so I love it but at the same time there are moments you kind of see maybe a baby looking at green or or, or a gardener just staring and you think there are little fragments of our time when we could go without words and <laughs> they're wonderful when they occur mm-hmm.
0: perhaps we should bring it back to trying to think through all of this while also maintaining a job and uh, <laughs> getting up and going yeah. to work. and yeah.
2: I think it's really hard to balance like living your life but also being concerned.
1: Oh yeah I mean it's it's a real dilemma isn't it? I can't say that being a poet pays a lot of the bills so so hmm. I have worked frequently in office towers. Office hours. Hickory dickory of computer mice from adjoining cubicles, tick, 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 little chatter of mice teeth behind bland padded office dividers, three blind walls, and my back to the window, tick, tick, tick. I long for the farmer's wife to come down the hall with a carving knife and chop computer cable, like the gristle of rodent tail, tick, 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 tick. And the clock strikes one as going so damn slow.
0: Perhaps to just add on to that, could you read Free Time next? Oh, sure. Sure. It kind of takes us from the office to right afterwards. Right
1: (laughs) afterwards, sure. Free time. Here, take it. No charge for that hour or two after supper tethered to the television, after work, after the dishes, before bed and the alarm clock ticking by your head. Free for all, no accounts need to be rendered for this time when we sit stunned by the news, never straying too far. Like elephants trained by tying their forelegs to a tree Eventually, intelligent beasts give up on movements. Free time, political broadcasts about productivity and countries where they work harder. And so to bed, the clock ticking in your head until unfree morning comes and tiny mahouts climb aboard the massive rolling shoulders.
0: You touch on so much in these poems. Hey, those last two, suddenly we're thinking about the relationship to the world also through machines and capitalism and work and-
1: All the systems that tie us together and tie us down. And to me, it's very very interesting that our model of capitalism and, uh, you know, we need, we need means of exchange, and the flow of capital is very useful in human societies, and there are no societies that don't have some form of money. But our current model has been based on increasing growth, you know, of population. Essentially, we need all these new people to buy new products and invent new ones to replace the ones they've already got and all that. What, to me, always gets kind of lost is the fact that the one thing that never goes down in terms of the hours required to do it is humans caring for other humans and whether that takes the form of of teaching of nursing, of writing poems for them. Those are hours you can't collapse beyond a certain limit. That's always valuable and yet we don't know how to attach value to it.
0: I'd love to like finish up with Um, the things we drag behind us.
1: The things we drag behind us. Oxygen tanks, small backpacks on wheels, reluctant children, dogs trying to take a poo. All of history. Humps, visible and invisible. And poems, caught in the brain, and towed through our days, like a child's wooden train, made lovingly by hand.
0: I've been thinking about things that I drag behind me (laughs) since reading that. (laughs) That was me, Dylan Hall, and Amanda Rooney, chatting with award-winning poet Alice Major about her new book, Welcome to the Anthropocene. If you want to hear more stories like this one, check out our website at terrainforma.ca or go to alicemajor.com for more information. Terra Informa is a production of CJSR 88.5 FM in Edmonton, produced with respect on Treaty Six Territory. Thanks this week to our contributors, Amanda Rooney, Sydney Carbonic, and Hannah Cunningham. I've been your host, Dylan
1: Hall. Catch you next week.